Hey everyone, welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is your co-host of the podcast, digital editor Al Lunsford, joined again today by Joe Passoff. Uh, happy to have you again, Joe, for another good conversation. I think this one today will be, you know, more of a a quicker and quick hit conversation. We're going to talk about a, a bunch of different courses. I'll get right into it. The topic of discussion for today, uh, Joe and I thought uh, after seeing in the news recently, the U.S. Women's Open was at Pine Needles and thinking about that golf course and how great it looked, how much exposure, great exposure that the Pine Needles course and lodge received from that event and hosting its fourth U.S. Women's Open, being next door neighbors to its much more well-known, not sister property or brother property, but the more well-known course in Pinehurst is obviously Pinehurst number two. And it sparked an idea for Joe and I to have a conversation of courses that are overlooked, great gems of golf courses that have maybe a notable neighbor that sucks up all the attention and, and people know and think about first. What do you think? Did I, did I get that kind of description down right, Joe? I think that's pretty fair, Al. You know, uh, golf fans have kind of been beaten back a little bit with the other things going on swirling in the world of professional golf. And um, you know what? There is plenty of room to discuss all that controversy. But I think our little milder controversy that we'll discuss on today's show is just that, is golf courses that are either overlooked because they have a more famous sibling or because somebody in their own neighborhood is just that much more famous. And you say to yourself, I know, but this course is really terrific in its own right. It may just not get the limelight, you know, that the other one does. So it's a fun discussion, what, wherever you are, whatever you're talking about, which really good courses are overlooked. You'll definitely know a lot of these, uh, most of these by name. Um, but certainly, as Joe said, uh, they the region in which they reside is, is more popularly known for one course or another having hosted big events or being a regular tour stop being high in the world golf rankings uh, or what have you. And I think Joe and I have come up with a pretty good list. It it's almost the kind of thing where the more you think about it, the more it gets added to the, the pot of overlooked gems. Let's go back to the beginning and kind of start. I think Pine Needles is a perfect place to start uh, after hosting that U.S. Women's Open. But also, Joe and I were kind of talking. It's not just Pine Needles that resides in the shadow of number two. Uh, you talk about the forty-ish courses in the immediate Pinehurst, North Carolina area, and a lot of these really fantastic courses there do come not not play second fiddle but but come in second reference when you when you think about Pinehurst Pine Needles being at the top of our heads not right now uh it's next door neighbor Mid Pines is in that conversation as well what else would you throw in there and and what do you have to say about at Pine Needles and its standing as an overlooked gem well Al it's hard to say that Pine Needles certainly this week is overlooked anymore you know, it rolls around every few years as a wonderful U.S. Women's Open host, and it proved that again this time around. I mean, the final day, the scoring soared. You know, those were some really high scores. I don't know that anybody uh, broke 70, um, certainly not among the leaders. And that is major championship golf, the way we remember it. So I think what folks got a kick out of that either attended or watched on television was Again, um, a restoration. Kyle Franz, uh, who helped on the crew that when Corn Crenshaw restored number two, got the job to do Pine Needle's sister course, Mid Pines, another Donald Ross classic. And the results were so good that the Pine Needle's folks hired him to do their course. And you could see all that exposed sand, great contouring. You really had to be imaginative with your short game. So Pine Needles, I think it's hard to say it's overlooked anymore, even if it's not quite number two in terms of difficulty 
and the number of great events it's hosted, you know, it's it's a pretty nice second fiddle. Mid Pines is one that jumps out because uh, many players uh, and and people, uh, residents who live there, including the great writer Jaime Diaz, feels that Mid Pines is truly an overlooked gem, that it's actually tougher than Pine Needles. I don't think it has quite the charm, the intimacy, if you will, as you go playing it, but you see those Donald Ross touches that are now restored and you say, Pine Needles, Mid Pines, they're both in the same family. You gotta play them both while you're there. Yeah, I would put those two courses for someone who's considering a golf trip to Pinehurst and wants to play number two. Uh, certainly, you have your pick of the other eight courses in the Pinehurst rotation there at the resort and country club. Uh, but Pine Needles, Mid Pines, and, and now Southern Pines on the heels of a, a restoration as well. Uh, should really be on your short list of places to visit. At Pine Needles and Mid Pines are quite literally across the street from each other. You could pack up after 18 and walk across one road and be on the first tee of the next course uh, after a light lunch, either at the Lodge or the Mid Pines Inn, both really cool historic buildings, uh, walking through those buildings is, is a walk through golf history in Pinehurst overlooked even in the resort itself. I, I think, like you said, less so now, but uh, Pinehurst number four after getting uh, Gil Hans's touch has really blossomed into the second punch in Pinehurst one, two punch of number two and now number four. Uh, I've heard really good things about uh, number three being the mini Pinehurst number two. I think number eight is great. And, and I've played a few of the others that are right there on property. The cradle is obviously fantastic. But yeah, the pine needles, mid pines duo in Southern Pines there right next door to Pinehurst is, is fantastic. Yes, you could spend easily a month in Pinehurst and not be bored and play a different course every day. And they feel fresh and exciting. So, you know, uh, I'm going to wave the flag for the sand Hills because uh, that is a really special place. And a lot of people didn't know. I, I, when I visited Pine Needles for the first time, I'd forgotten that, you know, they have the cradle at uh, Pinehurst resort. Pine Needles has its own little, short course as well. There's a four hole course called the loop, which is it's completely complimentary to anyone playing there at pine needles. Uh, and you grab a couple wedges. It's three par threes and a short par four actually. So a lot of fun out there at pine needles. Let's go for my next one. I think I'm just going to hit one, two, three punch on my list, Joe. And then I know you have some ideas as well. My next course, we're going to go all the way as far west as you can possibly go in the United States out to the island of Maui in Hawaii. And many people know Hawaii and, and golf on the islands for Kapalua and the history of uh, the now Tournament of Champions there on the PGA Tour that's played at the Plantation Course at Kapalua every year. Look to the south side of the island for another golf property called Wailea. Uh, 54 holes of fantastic oceanside golf. Uh, the views are tremendous. The gold course is the probably the gym there. The emerald is, is very, very gorgeous. And you have the blue as well. For three courses to play, outside of the immediate view of that Kapalua area, but not too far away on the same island. Joe, I know you've played there because you're wearing the shirt right now. At least I hope that's the case. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the case. Again, um, waving another flag way out west for Wailea. And uh, as you properly mentioned, Kapalua's plantation course uh, gets the majority of the love and attention out on Maui 
because it's an incredibly innovative design. We love watching it in January when it hosts the Tournament of Champions. Those super wide fairways with enormous tilts and the wind blowing and the ball running all over the place. Yep, I'll give Kapalua's plantation course its due. But Wailea offers something completely different. It's a little more serene and sedate, so to speak. But don't confuse that with quiet. They're fantastic courses. Again, the green, well, we don't call it the green. We call it the emerald and then the gold and then the blue. Okay, so what's special about these places? You mentioned the views. Spectacular. Yeah, you're in Hawaii. You want to see the ocean and you're going to get ocean views when you're at Wailea. What I look at it is for the stronger player who wants a really good test, the gold course, deeper bunkers, a few more force carries, that sort of thing. Like, yep, bring your A game. And, you know, if you're not a a terrific player, you're probably going to struggle a little bit. The Emerald course uh, is one of my favorite courses for couples to play. And that's because it's got all the scenery that the gold course brings, maybe even a little more. Uh, just a little friendlier, a little wider. The bunkers aren't quite as deep and the greens aren't quite as challenging. So it's all the golf you really want on your Hawaiian golf vacation. And credit Robert Trent Jones Jr. for making enough of a difference in those two courses to where, yep, test your game to the fullest here. And the other one is also pretty testing, but just amped up on the fun factor. They also have a third course, the blue, uh, Jack Snyder design uh, from from way back when in the 70s. And that's kind of the there's your fun one without anything else jumping out into the elite category. So you'll still have a good time at Wailea, three different offerings and uh, absolutely worth your time and money. Just speaking back to the views, the best view of any uh, driving range I've I've ever been on. If you go up to the top where the golf academy is, I'm into that, Al. I'm with you right there. You can see out to uh, Molokini, I think it is a very popular snorkeling spot, and it's a the patio on the on the back deck there. Uh, if the season is right, is perfect for lunch and whale watching. So I would highly recommend Wailea if you've got Kapalua in your sights. Drive on down to the south side of the island and and see another great golf property. My last one, we're going to go, this is a private course, but very well known. And certainly those who have been lucky enough to play it uh, would be able to contribute on this end. But I think in my mind, I preferred playing the east course at winged foot over the west. And it could be because the West is the one I played first and it punched me right in the mouth after which I never really recovered. Uh, it's not, not the type of golf course that you, uh, if you get down early, you've got ample opportunity to, to lift yourself off the canvas and get back up. It's just going to keep coming and coming. And that's what a good U S open test should do like Wingfoot West. And of course, it's a fantastic golf course. But the the East course is more of a, a friendlier handshake, welcome, thanks for coming. I hope you enjoy your round today. Uh, more of like a member-friendly golf course and has some of the best holes, I think, on the property. The bunkerless 17th hole, par three, is, is one of my favorite holes in the world. Uh, Joe, I think, You've had the chance to play Wingfoot a few times. Uh, I don't know if you've attended a U.S. Open there either, uh, but when people think of Wingfoot, they obviously think of the West, and the East is kind of its overlooked little brother. Well put, Al. Yep, I've been lucky enough to play both courses on multiple occasions. I got to cover the 1997 PGA at Wingfoot West, I got to cover the 2006 U.S. Open at Wingfoot West. I missed the last U.S. Open. weren't too many media around, but uh, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I look at the East course, and, and of course, I, I start with the West, and I love what you said about it, okay? As the great Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. 
Well, that's what the West does to you. It is one of the greatest championship tests in all of golf anywhere in the world. And it's proved itself over a hundred years. But for the average player, even those of us who are average, but we love architecture. I mean, the East simply is more fun. It offers better pacing, more variety, a few extra water hazards and, and more charm. And, you know, I've had members privately tell me that they like the East course better too, but when they have guests who want to play the U.S. Open course, they got to take them on the West. So, yeah, I mean, depending on what your mood is that day, if you're bringing all your golf game, you know, yeah, okay, let's do the West. But, um, you know, for regular play day in and day out, I'll give the East all the credit. Gil Hans has retouched both of them, you know, putting the restorations back in the chilling gas designs. Um, man, on the East course, the back of the back of the green of the par 5 12th and the false front at the par 4 14th just two terrific examples of restoration work and uh credit to aw tilling gas and uh, and also credit to gill uh the east course deserves a lot more love than it gets there's another two that's right across the street that many insiders will know about but definitely doesn't get the type of love I don't think as Wingfoot does just having the number of championships that it does and that's Quaker Ridge have you had the chance to play there as well yes I have well Quaker Ridge uh talk about a course that sits in anonymity compared to its more illustrious neighbor Wingfoot Quaker again was basically the handiwork of A.W. Tillinghast uh 1926 he redid uh, an, an earlier version of the course. And uh, I remember the famous quote, you know, from Jack Nicholas, you know, what she think is better uh, wing foot or Baltus roll. And he said, well, I don't know about those, but you got a heck of a course across the street here talking about Quaker Ridge and, um, and how difficult it was. Some fabulous, strong par fours at Quaker Ridge, you know, really no let up there, a great walk and so forth. Yeah, it, I attended the Walker Cup there right ahead of the PGA in 1997. Jason Gore, now with the USGA, dominating figure in that Ryder Cup. Justin Rose, a young 17-year-old, was on the team for GBI. And Quakers hosted a couple of important tournaments since then. But it, again, it's understandably overshadowed by the fact that Wingfoot West and the club history at Wingfoot you know, is so prominent in the region. There's so many good private clubs up in the Northeast too, that I don't even know if you get into that category of, of being overlooked because it's, it's almost a different atmosphere environment uh, and take on golf because most uh, pedestrians are not going to get the chance to ever play most of those courses, much less see them in person, unless they host one of these types of events. If they get a USGA championship or or something else that allows public access, so I don't even know if you would call them gyms, but you would just call them magnificent golf courses. That's yeah, funny, Al. If you live in the Met region, the Metropolitan Region, the Metropolitan Golf Association. Uh, that's almost a subject for a future podcast. It's just which area has the greatest concentration of excellent golf courses. And, you know, within that region, you say, well, it could be Long Island or it could be Westchester County. You know, I mean, those two are about the strongest arguments you can make. So the people that play there regularly that have private club access, very few of those great courses are overlooked. But because a lot of them, don't get on television for a, a big tournament um, or don't get ranked in the top 100 because it's just they're crowded out by others in the same region. Goodness. I mean, you probably have 15 to 20 fantastic courses in Westchester and on Long Island um, that don't get the attention they deserve. Maybe a subject for a future show. Yeah, I guess you're right. In that way, they're definitely overlooked. Um, but and yeah, I think it's more of like a if you know, you know type of deal with those uh, clubs up there. I'll rattle off a few more that we kind of talked about. And, and then I know you had a couple others you wanted to speak in, 
in more detail on, you know, I had thought of, this is a, a kind of a, a flip side of the coin, but um, Gazer Ranch out in Idaho, while ranking higher than, I, it might be the, the top ranked course in Idaho, correct me if I'm wrong about that one, but uh, when people think golf in, in Idaho, they think Lake Coeur d'Alene and they think the floating green and, and that resort property. Uh, so although Gazer is, is kind of the, the top, the cream of the crop there in Idaho, and it's a private course that not, not many people are seeing. Uh, most people think of, of Coeur d'Alene. I had also written down, uh, if you're in the area of TPC Sawgrass, I think a, a trek over to Ponte Vedra Inn and Club, uh, which just had some work done, I believe, by Bobby Weed, uh, Pete Dye's protege, and, and Hammock Beach. I've heard really good things about both of those courses that the public can go and play in the Jacksonville and Ponte Vedra area. And then a, a while back, we had done a, a piece about Oregon golf beyond Bandon. So you look at places like Pronghorn, Crosswater, Tethero, uh, Resort Golf in Oregon that gets you beyond just the Bandon Dunes. I did a first peak of, on a course called Bar Run, which is along that highway. If you're coming, if you're flying into um, Seattle, not Seattle, Portland, and driving down to Bandon Dunes, this, this new property called Bar Run that's been built out there is, is on your way, just a, just off the highway. So, um, Joe, I don't know if you had any others that you just kind of came across your head uh, outside of the few you wanted to speak on in detail. Yeah, it's funny. You know, uh, every editor uh, that you and I have worked with doesn't want you to use the term hidden gems anymore, you know. Uh, that in itself has become a cliche. So when we talk about, say, overlooked gems, you know, well, in, in what sense? It, can a course be ranked in the top 100 and yet still be overlooked? I, yeah, actually. If it's just overshadowed by a more famous neighbor. You know, two great examples of that are, you know, my favorite Midwest resort, Destination Kohler. Well, you know, the Straits course at Whistling Straits is an absolute must play. Unbelievable piece of modern architecture. Uh, we all just fell in love with it all over again at the Ryder Cup last year. But there's three other sensational courses at that resort. One of them is right at Whistling Straits, which is the Irish course. So I think the Irish course takes a knock or two because it's called the Irish course, even though there's a bunch of ponds and lakes and wetlands and so forth, it doesn't really play like a lynx, even though at times it looks like one. But it's a really good golf course in its own right. And then about 10 minutes away, also in the Kohler family, is Black Wolf Run's River Course. So there's a sister course to that, Meadow Valleys, which is very good as well. But the River Course is special. It's truly top 100. It's hosted some U.S. Women's Opens. And I think if the wind isn't blowing really hard or even steady at Whistling Straits, Black Wolf Run River is tougher than Whistling Straits. If you can put the ball in play and keep it, keep it, in, you know, keep it going, straight driving, I think Black Wolf Run River is, is that much more demanding with some of the best holes that Pete Dye ever designed. So... You know, again, Black Wolf Run River has hosted important tournaments. Um, we've seen it a little bit here and there. It is in many top 100s, but it's overshadowed by Whistling Straits Straits course. Don't miss it if you get the chance to play it. On that topic, we had talked about in the past, too, a composite course. You, you mentioned um, Black Wolf Run has hosted a couple of U.S. Women's Opens as well, and they, they combine the river and the meadow valleys it's now also the location of the Baths short course at Destination Kohler. Um, so, like you said, scooch on over to Black Wolf Run if you're in town to play Whistling Straits. Moving towards your list, Joe, um, we've got some international properties to discuss that are part of this conversation. Well, many Lynx readers uh, like to go across the pond 
and play the great courses, the historic courses, the top 100 courses. And, uh, and one of my choices is Sunningdale Golf Club outside of London, two of the great Heathland courses in existence. Now, mind you, I am completely smitten by the old course at Sunningdale. I, I mean, possibly next to Cypress Point, it's my favorite in terms of pure charm. Just the sheer joy of going around, walking all 18, the Heather, the little halfway house with the sausage sandwich and park your dog out there. And even the dog gets a little something. Um, it's just absolutely gorgeous and fun. But the new course, and mind you, it's like just about 100 years old in its own right. The new course is Sunningdale which is H.S. Colt, um, is really a stronger golf course. Uh, it's longer. It traverses higher ground. It has uh, lengthy carries over heather, sharper drop-offs drop around the elevated greens, which really puts a premium on striking your approach shots well. And, it's, and I think it's a little more true to its Heathland setting with fewer trees and deeper bunkers. Uh, the fifth hole on there, just a phenomenal par three, an uphill thrust through the trees over a heathery, sandy gully. Um, and, and the green is exposed, framed by bunkers. Uh, just fantastic. I remember Jack Nicholas used to be involved with the new Shell's uh, Wonderful World of Golf matches. And he and Gary Player played a match maybe 20 years ago over the new and it was really neat to see the new get its due because they show pretty much all 18 holes on those telecasts. So if you plan on going there and you want to check off Sunningdale old, fit in the new for an incredible 36-hole day, and then go find the video where Jack played Gary. And, um, you know, it'll be well worth watching that one. Yeah, that Nona's, I'm checking it out and uh, seeing it's known as one of the best inland courses uh in the uk so not just great links golf obviously in that part of the world that maybe that's another conversation too uh the entire inland portion of the uk when you talk about england and scotland and the courses that are not on those coasts are overlooked too i think uh as a broader category well absolutely i mean again you go across the pond because you want to play Lynx golf. You know, we don't have too much of it in the United States. So you want to go play those historic courses and the courses that will, you know, test you and shape you and mold you as a golfer by learning to play Lynx golf and improving it and, and adding to your enjoyment. But there are some inland golf courses over there that are absolutely worth your while. The Heath belt, uh, the Heathland Belt, basically, around London. And talk about a hidden gem, if you will. St. George's Hill, another Colt course, 27 holes, uh, may well be as good as anything at Sunningdale. So, and I definitely like it better than Wentworth, uh, which hosts a lot of big tournaments. But the other place I tell readers to go is up northern Scotland into the Highlands at Glen Eagles. Glen Eagles Hotel, a truly phenomenal property. And yeah, we know Glen Eagles because it's Jack Nicholas design uh, from the mid 19 early 1990s called the PGA Centenary Course, hosted the Ryder Cup. It's also hosted the Solheim Cup and some European tour events. But Jack, you know, we love a lot of your architecture, but uh, that is not one of the more memorable courses in your repertoire. And it's not even close to being the best course at Glen Eagles. It may be the best suited to host tournaments, but you're going to have much more fun at the James Braid courses, the Kings, and then it's smaller but equally fun and challenging course, the Queens. The Senior Open Championship is going to Glen Eagles this year uh, in July, but it's at the Kings course. They're not going to play the Jack Nicholas design, but instead go back to the 100-year-old Kings course and boy, what a fun romp around the countryside that is. So, yeah, 
do yourself a favor in your travels. Go experience the pampering that you get at Glen Eagles. Phenomenal resort. But, um, you know, yeah. Do the checklist thing with the PGA Centenary. But I think you're going to enjoy the Kings and the Queens that much more. Yeah, good preview to to be able to watch that senior open on the Kings course uh, for anyone who hasn't viewed that property. A couple more on your list, right? You had another in uh, Scotland that people will obviously recognize. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to made I made you guess as to which one that was going to be. Uh, I, and... <laughs> Right, because uh, why does the mind go blank when you're talking about St. Andrews? Yeah, only my mind could go blank doing that. Obviously, Alan, the ultimate checklist course, the ultimate bucket list course is the old course at St. Andrews. Say what you want about Pebble and Cypress and Augusta National, but golf started at the old course. So what about the other courses at St. Andrews? The new course, which is only like 127 years old, Okay, so what's the deal with the new course? It's actually, on many days, tougher. It's more demanding. It's more difficult. Fewer let-up holes or drivable par fours than the old course. It's got some great holes out by the River Eden, but individually memorable holes don't pop to mind as well. Well, Maybe it's because we haven't seen it on television, but truthfully, even after you've played there, you come around and you say, well... Yep, that was a good test, but I don't know that it's going to linger in my memory. But if you want to be tested and you like classic golf, you've got to play the new course for that reason. You know, one of the other ones that gets overlooked, and I'm not going to say Kings Barnes, which is not part of the St. Andrews family, but it's in the neighborhood. Everybody knows about top 100 Kings Barnes these days. But the Castle course at St. Andrews, David McClay Kidd, It debuted with such controversy because the Lynx Trust wanted number seven to be a huge home run. They wanted to take some traffic off of the old course and put it on another course there. Well, it was just too difficult. The set of greens that David built was simply too demanding for everyday play. And there were some other, uh, you know, kind of playability issues too. To David's credit and to the Lynx Trust credit, um, you know, David has softened his style a little bit. He's learned and done some phenomenal work since then. So the course has been made more fun, more playable, and it's got really memorable holes, unlike, say, the new course, and some terrific views looking back at the town of St. Andrews. So I would say... If 20, 25 years ago, you weren't sure what to think, whether you should take the time to play Castle, I think it's worthy now. Going back to that conversation with the home of American golf, Pinehurst, and and being so many courses right there in the vicinity, I'm sure everyone will have their own arguments there, which is the, the most overlooked gym in the area. The same goes for the home of golf in St. Andrews, and it didn't mention the Jubilee or the Eden uh, amongst all of those great courses right there. Uh, I bet that's a, a good water cooler conversation, which is the the best course at St. Andrews. That's not the old course or which is the favorite. That'll go a lot of, a lot of directions. I'm, I'm quite sure. For sure. Last on your list, I think is another well-known name for it's having hosted big events as well uh in australia royal melbourne um a lot of people know the west you know i i thought about this too there's so many good 36 whole properties around the world uh with names like this west or east north and south having a sister course uh ultimately one is going to be favored over the other or regarded higher than the other so this is a case kind of like Wingfoot, uh where you have another course there that doesn't get really any of the notoriety that comes with hosting tournaments and, and things like that but what's so what's special about that east course at royal melbourne yeah 
you know, I realize that uh, not every Lynx reader will get to Australia and play Royal Melbourne. So understand that when the big events do come to Royal Melbourne, such as the President's Cup or the occasional top Australian tournament, it's played on a composite course. So you have 12 holes from the West course, which is Alistair McKenzie. And then you have six holes from the East course. Uh-oh, that little asterisk comes up. It's not actually credited to Alistair McKenzie for the design. That goes to uh, an associate uh, he basically left in charge who was terrifically skilled, Alex Russell. And even if they were kind of carrying out the McKenzie philosophy and tradition in it, he gets credit, Alex Russell, for laying out the East course. So why does the East course get overlooked when six of its holes, a third of its course, gets used in major competitions as the composite course? Well, again, I think part of it's just the name. Alistair McKenzie versus Alex Russell. Okay, second, let's be fair. The East doesn't occupy quite quite the dramatically shifting terrain as the West course does. Maybe overall the bunkering and the shot values are just a little stronger on the West. And because the folks who do course rankings prefer not to rank the composite course because it's only set up that way a couple times a year for members. So they rank the West course as a legitimate top 10 or top 15 course in the world. The East course sometimes makes the top 100. It doesn't offer quite what the West course does, but it enters the conversation of the top 100. And when you do make that trip, if you're not privileged enough to play the composite course, you have to play the East and the West because the East is that good. A great point that now I'm remembering that I didn't really bring into uh, the scenario here is that, yeah, part of the East is part of that tournament course. Uh, although the West is, seems to get more of the attention uh, and overshadows the East, part of their holes are there when you, when you see these tournaments go on. So um, not to be very overlooked, because it is there, but yeah, got all these little brothers trying to punch up and, and take the crown from their better known neighbors. I think one we we didn't mention, but we were going to come back to because you and I had, had batted around that there are other several other options very close to Pebble Beach. This is, we'll wrap this up. This will be our last one, but um, I had thought of Pasta Tiempo. It's not right next door be, because it's a, about 45 minutes away. Great public course. Joe, you, you know some details there of, of changes or uh, updates coming at Pasta Tiempo, but longtime host of the Western Intercollegiate, so you see that course on Golf Channel um, when they have that tournament uh, for men's college golf. Uh, but it seems to be a special place. It's known as Alistair McKenzie's favorite design, uh, certainly at the top of his list, uh, but you've played it. So you, you know more than I about Pasatiempo. Well, Al, uh, I don't know how old you were when I first played it in 1983. It was a negative seven. <laughs> it has been a favorite ever since, you know, at the time I was discovering architecture and I didn't think back then that I'd have a chance to go play Augusta National or Cypress Point or Royal Melbourne, some other Alistair McKenzie greats. But I knew I could play Pasa Tiempo. It was open to the public and still is. So I, be, I really had a special affection for it. And what's happened you know, since that time is they've done some restoration work at Pasa Tiempo with both uh, Tom Doak and his then associate, Jim Urbina. These days, the Pasatiempo is utilizing Mr. Urbina, a wonderfully talented man in the field, um, to do more restoration. Just found out about this about three weeks ago. But after hosting the most recent West Western Intercollegiate, and you've had a who's who in college golf that's competed there, but it was obvious. The holes themselves are incredibly memorable. The strategies 
Mackenzie's favorite hole was the par four 16th with its three tier green. He chose to live the final years of his life in a home on the sixth fairway. So very special place Pasatiempo holds for Alistair McKenzie. But what was obvious is that they built greens at the time that were running much, much slower than they do now for modern green speeds. And some of the greens were just simply getting away uh, from, from people in this day and age with too much speed and too much slope. So when Doak and Urbina redid a lot of the bunkering, did some, did some other work there. It was a, a fantastic healthy head start maybe about 15 years ago. And now Jim Urbina is going to come in and they're going to do nine holes in 2023 and nine holes in 2024 with greens, with bunkers, and they're going to really restore a true historic restoration for what McKenzie not only did, but what he intended by it. So I'm very excited by that. By the same token, I think the more overlooked course in the region is right next door to Pebble Beach, which is Spyglass Hill. Spyglass, how can it be overlooked, right? It's ranked in the top 15 or top 20 public courses. It co-hosts the AT&T Pebble Beach Tournament every year on the PGA Tour. And yeah, Robert Trent Jones Sr. doesn't get as much love as some of the other architects uh, in the chatter rooms across social media. But boy, I still feel he aced the test at Spyglass Hill. Sure, you can argue that it's too compartmentalized with the first five holes right along the sea. Absolutely phenomenal. And then the rest of the holes play through the forest. Well, yeah, okay, maybe it would have been ideal if you could have mixed up sea and forest throughout the round. But even the forested holes are just stunning. Absolutely wonderful. Beautiful bunkering, trees, deer, the pond placements, you know, gettable par threes unless you miss hit. And then, of course, those first five holes stand with just about anywhere for a start in the world of golf. Yeah, my, my sleeper still is Spyglass Hill in the region. Pebble Beach overshadows everything, but, um, and Pasa Tiempo is great, getting going to get even better in the next two years, but tip of my cap to Spyglass Hill. Listeners, we would love to know your thoughts on that, on all of the other overshadowed courses that we mentioned as part of this conversation. Uh, let us know what you think, and... I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about if we kept looking across the country and going down the rankings. There's so much more that we could, so many more places that we could take this conversation and marginalize it, I'm sure, and figure out ways and why this is overlooked and why this is not. Uh, but uh, it was a fun one for me and you today, Joe. Uh, thanks for having that conversation with me. Now I want to move on to a, a poll topic that we posed to our readers recently. And perhaps looking through some of these answers, we are going to mention a few overlooked gems that are on people's itineraries coming up in the near future. But Joe, the question that we posed to our readers and that I want to get your answer for is uh, on golf travel, looking at the future and what you have in store uh, where you're going to be playing in the near future. Uh, what is your next big golf trip destination was the question. I'm actually going to start and, and read a few of our reader answers and then would love to know what you have to say, Joe. I've got a trip coming up too that I'll mention, but let's get to a few reader answers here. Our reader, uh, one of our readers, Wells, H says he's going to Northwest Ireland. He's playing Royal County Down, Royal Portrush, Ballyliffin, Port Stewart, Rosa Pena, etc. That sounds like a really fun trip. It sounds like I'll be there a while too. Um, let's go to scrolling down the list here. We've got Bill O. He's going to Myrtle Beach. I was just at Myrtle Beach. Didn't play any golf, but... Uh, there's certainly a lot of it there. He says it's the candy store of golf, any style of golf course you want. Joe, what's your favorite golf course in Myrtle Beach? Oh, I might be a little biased, but um, I love the Dunes Golf and Beach Club. It put Myrtle Beach on the map 
as far as golf destinations go. And there's still public access. Uh, one of Robert Trent Jones Sr.'s most influential, greatest designs. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm a fan of Caledonia and True Blue, the more modern Mike Strand stuff. But, um, man, the Dunes feels like an old-fashioned private country club that you might find in the Northeast. And uh, instead, it's Myrtle Beach and Myrtle Beach weather. And, um, you know, the famous 13th dog-legging around Lake Singleton and the ninth hole coming close to the beach. So uh, that's my pick. I'm a Caledonia man. That's what I was going to say. I know that's technically Pauly's Island for anyone who's who's going to call me out on that, but in that greater Myrtle Beach area, yeah, I'm I'm Caledonia guy. Uh, Greg M says Turning Stone Resort in New York. They have three great courses that are in fantastic shape. There's a casino on site with a variety of restaurants and a spa. Have you ever been there, Joe? I have. I've stayed there. I can vouch for the restaurant. I can vouch for the casino. And the golf is tremendous. Uh, Randy D is going to Williamsburg. I hope he's playing Kings Mill. I've been to the LPGA tournament there at the River Course a time or two. That's a lovely property. Uh, Rich B says Arcadia Bluffs up in Michigan. I've been fortunate enough to play many of the bucket list courses around the world. And I always love to return to my all-time favorite Arcadia Bluffs. Visually... Um, bluffs and the South course there, uh, at that property are stunning. They're the kind of pictures I've seen of those golf courses that immediately make you want to check that one off. Uh, Jim H is heading to the RTJ trail. Uh, he's going over to Ross bridge on the RTJ trail and also playing farm links at Purcell farms. And I'll mention a few more down here. We've got a couple people going to Big Cedar. Uh, we've got several Irelands on this list, so that's great. Nova Scotia uh, going to play at Cabot Cape Britain is John B. And last one I'll mention, Woody F. is going on a two-round, one-night trip to Aaron Hills. He looks forward to it. Uh, to spending Father's Day there. So I, I know what by the time we air this episode, uh, Woody, I think, will be either on the course or fresh off it uh, for Father's Day. What a great visit up to Aaron Hills for that. Uh, Joe, I'd love to know, you just got back from a trip, uh, but I'd love to know where your next big golf destination might be. Well, next week, uh, I'll be with... Um my uh, friends from Lexus and uh, we'll be uh, playing, celebrating the U S open um, be playing a couple of private clubs in Massachusetts that I'm very excited to get to Catansit club. which will be hosting the U S senior amateur this year. And uh, uh, William Flynn uh, did most of the design there. And then Essex County club, a doll old Donald Ross where the Curtis cup was uh, founded. Um, so I am excited about that, but those are both private. Uh, Al, I think what I want to mention is Lake Tahoe because I just got back from Lake Tahoe last night and I can't wait to go back. All right. It's 115 degrees in Phoenix this weekend. Sound nice. I mean, <laughs> Phoenix, Phoenix is terrific. Most times of the year are all our friends in Scottsdale and around, but, uh, this time of year is not one of them for golf. Lake Tahoe Every year for that celebrity tournament, the American Century Celebrity Tournament, I look and I see these boats right up on the lake next to the 17th and 18th hole. It's always 80 degrees and sunny every time, not even a cloud, let alone rain. So I finally got to play that golf course that I've been watching on television for so many years, had never played Edgewood Tahoe. They have an incredible lodge right there that they built in 2017, overlooks the lake. And this lake is beyond description, other than you have the snow-capped mountains ringing it. So for the lake activities, the casino activities, and then another 15 or 20 golf courses that are worthy, both on the California side and on the Nevada side, um, if you can get private club access, Clear Creek, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw, 
fantastic. Just a really fun mountain golf course with plenty of challenge. As a nine-hole golf course, John Duncan Dunn built in 1924, Old Brockway. And then there's so many good modern courses in between. But yeah, if you're looking to get to the mountains and that beautiful ponderosa pine fragrance and 78 to 80 degrees, I can't wait to get back to Lake Tahoe. I think we need to do something on Lake Tahoe. That is certainly one of the destinations that doesn't really get brought up uh, in first breath when you talk about great golf areas of the country that, like you said, I mean, the weather is perfect. It is good enough to host a celebrity tournament every year, and those guys go out and play on their free time. So uh, why not go check that out? I'm glad you got the chance to go, and and I hope it inspires some other people to check it out too. Uh, for me, I'm, you know, I've got, I've got to go back down to Hilton Head soon. I hope to get to play some golf while I'm there. Maybe I'll mill around here in Central North Carolina and play some. But I do have a trip coming up uh, that it doesn't really involve. Um, it is a golf trip, but it doesn't involve playing much golf because I'm going to see a property uh, in British Columbia in Canada. We. I mentioned earlier someone else is going to Nova Scotia to play the Cabot properties there. Cabot is building a new golf resort property in Revelstoke, British Columbia. So we're I'm flying up to, to Western Canada, the Canadian Rockies. It's one of the best ski towns in the country up there. And Cabot Revelstoke will be uh, a an 18-hole golf course. From my understanding, it'll be kind of like the type of thing at the resort where you walk out one side and you're on the first tee of this new golf course property. You walk out the other side and you could hop on the chairlift in the right season and go up the mountain and go skiing. So I'm really excited to see that it's uh, the golf course. Isn't looking like it'll be ready until 2024. Um, but it's another great resort to look forward to under that Cabot umbrella. I know they also have the Citrus Farms property in Florida for people to go see uh, what they're making World Woods into in Central Florida, but uh, I'm going to go see Revelstoke. That's my next big thing, and I'll let you know what I think, Joe. I look forward to your report, Al, because British Columbia and the Canadian Rockies up there, not too far from Whistler, uh, one of the most beautiful places, especially summer destinations in North America, without question. And um, in fact, the only bear I had ever seen on a golf course until this week was at Whistler. And while playing Edgewood Tahoe, the very first hole we were playing, I saw a, a bear came out of the swimming in a lake and ambled across uh, behind the fifth green and, and, uh, and went away. So look for snow-capped peaks, and maybe the occasional bear sighting in British Columbia. I'll keep my eyes peeled, that's for sure. I don't want to run into a bear while I'm not paying attention, but it sounds like it's a possibility. And maybe I'll get on Banff Springs, too. I, I might swing by. It's not too far away while I'm there. I heard really good things about that place as well. Joe, as always, great conversation with you today. I uh, hope the listeners enjoyed what we had to say. Uh, and embrace debate. Let us know what you think. Uh, until next time, uh, for Joe Passoff, this is Al Lunsford. Thanks again, Joe. Have a good day. Take care.